You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Play clock now at two. Winston steps up on third down. He throws it. It's picked off by Connolly. Ryan Connolly. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me, as always, is Mike the Cranky Fan. I promise this will be the sickest episode we've ever done. <laughs> How you doing, Grump? Uh, greetings from Fort Wayne, Indiana. I just finished my my big road trip from St. Petersburg, Florida. It took me two days to get here. I saw America, and I realized. I love New York the most. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. You flew from New York to St. Pete to drive to Fort Wayne? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I was down there to see the uh, the weekend series with the Rays and the Yankees. Gotcha. And okay. Yeah, my lovely and talented wife is up here for work, and I decided to go on a road trip and find myself. And I found Grump. I'm just as lost as ever. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully you can, you know— Give me some direction with as you know as we talk about the draft and the Giants and life itself. <laughs> uh, hey man, we've been doing this podcast for a couple of years now. I, I have not been doing a very good job of giving you direction, but I am lost myself. Um, but you know, I'm just as tired as you are. Uh, I am on day three of waking up at five in the morning. It is time. It, it's getting warm out. It's nice out. I just went to Florida. Time to lose weight, so getting up really early for the gym, and it's uh, it's hitting me, man. It's, it's hey, we're n- proud of you, though, man. We need to get, get your ass in the gym. It's, uh, it's good. And by the way, one thing for this episode, no, I'm not drunk. I bit my tongue two days ago, and sitting in a car for 14 hours, all you do is continuously keep biting your tongue. So my tongue is swollen, so I sound like I have either cotton balls in my mouth or I've had 12 shots of vodka. I've had neither. I have a swollen tongue. I'm talking a little funny. So we will get through this episode together. Yes, we, we will get through this episode together. Um, <laughs> the, the Giants are now in a position where they, they have maneuvered themselves around cap restrictions, you know, with a, with a down cap year and uh, having to retain some talent and, and things like that. They maneuvered their way around to uh, spend a lot of money and, and where a lot of money is currently sitting is in the back end of their uh, defensive backfield so they, they spent pretty big in, in 2020 on James Bradbury getting him back there they've just spent even even more? Uh, no I think it's a little bit less for Adoree Jackson um, they have invested draft picks in Darnay Holmes Julian Love, Sam Beal uh, so they have really really pumped a lot of effort and um well they've also they've also invested draft picks on guys no longer with the team you know deandre baker i mean that's <clears throat> part of this you know back defensive backfield rebuild so it's even more than just who's physically here now yeah yeah and and that's not counting the the safety position where you know logan ryan is kind of in that he's just kind of like a db at this point but you know, Logan Ryan, Jabril Peppers was traded for, Xavier McKinney was a second-round draft pick. The The amount that they've invested back here is a lot. So for us to really go through and, and be like, oh, the, are the Giants going to be drafting a corner at 11? That's, that's a little insane. Uh, I would be legitimately 
concerned if that's the draft pick, even if it's a guy that we really like? Well, let's let, let's start off like, could there anybody be possibly on their big board that <clears throat> they figure, with, you know, well, he's high enough that he just happens to fall to 11, you know, regardless of anybody else they're taking? Uh, I would be really hard pressed to imagine a scenario where somebody who fits a need and is high enough on their big board, all of those people are gone by 11 and we're left with just the best guy on the board as a corner and you take him anyway. Uh, I don't know that that's actually possible, especially given maneuvering up in the top three for quarterbacks already. Um, So I don't think that's possible, but I do think it's always important. It's always important to do work on guys that there is no chance you're ever getting because you know a couple of years ago everyone was sure that Laramie Tunsil was going to be gone and he plummeted and I'm not obviously that's a weird thing with the gas mask and you know that goes down in NFL draft history but it's always important to have your due diligence done um, you'll never know when there's a run on a certain position or there's a surprise pick really high and, and it causes a guy to just be forgotten about because other teams were locked in on who they were going for. Uh, so I always review everybody. And you know what? A couple of years ago, I started my pre-draft work on Saquon Barkley before the Giants, before that season even started where the Giants landed themselves second overall. And I was wondering if I was wasting my time then, and it turns out I wasn't. So, you know, we're going we're gonna to briefly go over some guys that are going to be probably gone by round two and it's just good it it's just be. good to know because you never know you know who's gonna take what now one of these guys might slide into our division or you know in the conference we don't know so it's good to just go over them anyway yeah that's actually a really excellent point um aside from that um you know, with DBs and with wide receivers there is always a ton of debate over like stacking them um, in terms of who's the best or who's the best fit for your team. So, you know, the, I'm sure that if you grab five quote-unquote experts, they're going to list the top five corners differently. So, I mean, there's also that. So team evaluators are going to do the same thing. Um, I also think it's important that, you know, I know that we have, and I have listed down every corner on the roster. Okay, you ready? James Bradbury, Adoree Jackson, Darnay Holmes. Those are probably your starters. Julian Love, Isaac Yadam, Sam Beal, Ryan Lewis, Quincy Wilson, Jaron Williams, Montre Hardage, Madre Harper, Josh Kalu, and Chris Milton. That's a lot of guys, and a lot of them are really talented. You know, guys like Sam Beal we forget about because we haven't gotten to see him a lot, but if you watch his college tape, he was really, really, really good. You know, Yadam really stepped up. Julian Love has been pretty good. You know, considering what we all we all thought that he would never make it as a corner, has played pretty well as a nickel and a, and a safety. We were, we were having some interesting conversations about him at the end of last season about what we were going to do with him. Yeah, like maybe potentially being a starter next year. It, you know, obviously, you know, free agency and everything came along, but that's a guy that we think would be will play a bigger role in this team than we originally thought. Like like you said, but I, I, one thing I do want to drill into everybody's heads is. Um, two things, actually. The first is, I'm not big on the 2016 Giants team. I know their record. I know what they did. I know how good they were. Offensively, they weren't really good enough to go to the Super Bowl. But 
There is no doubt that that game in Green Bay was a very close game until Dominic Rogers Cromartie got hurt and had to go out. And by th- that, the game was over the moment that happened. Aaron Rodgers yep. went to the slot every single time, and there was no depth behind that third corner, and they just were toast. That great defense that they had that year was useless against Aaron Rodgers as soon as Rodgers Cromartie went down. So depth at the defensive back position cannot be understated. You can you can find ways to get to the quarterback, but at the NFL level, you cannot just find ways to cover receivers. They are too good, the schemes are too good, and, and quarterbacks are too smart. It, you can't fake it. You just can't. Um, so it's important that we go over the DBs anyway because – Number two, the other thing I want people to realize is the Giants are now at this position where they have a pretty talented roster. We are not looking at a roster where we're like, Jesus Christ, we got to fill this need, we got to fill this need, and what are we going to do about this need? There's no way we're going to get to all this this year. They're not like that anymore. Right now, they can take somebody and upgrade talent where they're already they've already got a starter. We're an NFL roster now, where in the last couple of years we were a couple eggs short of a carton, and now we are legitimate. A roster. That's not saying – now, don't make the jump that we're a Super Bowl roster, but we are a legitimate roster that's going to potentially be successful in this league. So, yes, gotcha. Yeah, so so it's good to do this anyway because once we get to these middle rounds of the draft, um, we're going to see a chance for – doesn't matter the position. You're going to take a talent now because now you're going to just upgrade your whole fucking roster. So it doesn't it doesn't really matter anymore. Now we're now we're at the point where we're looking at talent. So without further ado, let's jump into the draft. And I tweeted last night that I I finally did my stacking of these top five corners. And Patrick Sertain from Alabama is not my corner number one. My corner number one is JC Horn from South Carolina. He was a guy that I was watching last year, as in 2019, 2019 season, and I was waiting for him to take the jump in 2020. Just to, I could see the upside, I could see what he could do, and I wanted to watch him. Um, and to me, he is the highest ceiling player, where his floor is also really high. You know, these these top five that I'm going to talk about, top four that I'm going to talk about, they're all pretty close in terms of their floor. Um, but now I'm looking at ceiling and what they can do. And for me, Horn is that guy. He is first. He's six one, two hundred five. So he's already got perfect size. Now you just build on it in the in the weight room. He's very athletic, really quick and smooth. He's great with physicality and timing in his man coverage. He plays through the ball and disrupts contested catches really well. He's really smart. He directs coverage and uh, he's very rarely out of position. Um, well, you know why a part of it is, you know, we I bag him on him all the time, but Will Muschamp is an excellent defensive coach. And and you can see, you know, going back from guys who from South Carolina, from Auburn is DC there, from Florida, from Texas, guys that come into the league that are, you know, were recruited by him, were coached by him, are very well coached. They are very well very good in technique. You know, and, you know, he gets good guys, too, because of his, uh, you know, his status and stuff. Yeah, but uh, that's one thing when you're always looking at guys like, you know, they come from South Carolina recently. 
Will Muschamp's uh, fingerprints are all over it. And I, I do give the guy credit for being a great defensive coach. Oh, yeah. The only thing that, you know, the, the biggest knock on Horn is he's a little bit grabby. I've watched that diminish from junior to, or from 2019 to 2020. Um, and I think that it's something that could be, it's not, he's a little grabby out of instinct. He's a little grabby because he's a physical corner. He's not grabby because he's trying to catch up. And there is a difference and you can see it. Well, I think you get confidence as you play more and more, and you know you you're a little faster, and you just you you know the receivers a little more. So it's uh, I can see the less of the need as you're getting more experienced. And and I'll I'll say this too because I I should have started off with this, but there's no Patrick Peterson in this draft. So even though J.C. Horn is my number one receiver, corner, he is not to me going to be that elite level. Lockdown corner. I mean, he could be, but I don't think off out of the gates he's going to be some, you know, elite lockdown corner. I think he's going to be very good. I think you've got a future Pro Bowler right there, and um, you know that's that's something to be happy about. I think he's got the highest sure. ceiling. Yeah. Um, but second on my list is Patrick Sertain. Um, and uh, here's another dude. He's a little bit taller, but same, 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 same body type. Six two two oh eight. So really close. He is much more technically sound than J.C. Horn. Um, but where Horn, I think, has that um, that ceiling over him is, I don't think Sertain has the deep speed and and the short area quickness like J.C. Horn does. He's not as athletic. And I think at the NFL level, if he's asked to cover man to man. He's going to have trouble with the faster wideouts. Now, I mean, that's going to be on a defensive coordinator to put him in a bad spot like that. But it's something to point out. I think in the defense that we saw deployed last year with Patrick Graham, Sertain would be more than five. First of all, I think Patrick Graham would not put him in a situation where he won't succeed. But in what they ran last year, I think he would be more than fine. He would be an excellent corner on the outside. But I think what Patrick Graham really likes to do and what we've seen in the past in Miami, etc., is he likes to have man corners. He likes to switch it up. He likes to play more man so that he can blitz more creatively. You know, he was roster deficient last year to do that. And he I think he realized it early in the season and switched things up. But it's something to keep in mind with Sertain. And I don't think it, it's not something you can just get better at. You're not going to just get faster. It's just the only thing you can do is be more technically proficient to have west less wasted steps, but he is already very technically sound. So this is probably as fast as he's gonna get. Um, but other than the speed deficiencies, Sertain is a perfectly solid prospect, um, and it, it was on display. You know, you've watched. Sertain and J.C. Horn match up with Kyle Pitts. So, you know, they're right. What we're talking about with Kyle Pitts is a 6'6", you know, freak of nature. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And they had a lot of struggles with him. But at the same time, they were not being – they were not toast with him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean – Normally, corners like that aren't covering tight ends anyway, so it's you know it's different route patterns, it's different everything. So it's a little bit of apples to oranges to see how well they did against a guy like Pitts. Uh, interesting. Well, I mean, Horn- also it's just like Florida's offense in general last year was very pro style. Very. Um, so it was it was 
important for me to see how he matched up against an NFL style offense that put up NFL style numbers for the for, you know for the most part. Yeah, that was that was a throwback offense to the Steve Spurrier days back in the '90s more than anything they've had in the last you know 20 years since. But um, but that was out of necessity too. I mean, so a little bit because the team had really no running game. That's a little bit of a help to the defense because you kind of know the ball is going to be in the air. You know they're going to throw it 30 to 45 times a game. Mm-hmm. I um, One thing that a lot of people – and a lot of people have Sertain as their corner one, and I understand why. Um, but one thing that absolutely drives me bonkers, and we're going to get into this with two other prospects that we're going to talk about. <laughs> is the fact that he has bloodlines to former NFL players or current NFL players or whatever. These guys at the draft, if we're talking about them in the NFL draft, even if they're an undrafted free agent prospect, are all superior physically gifted. All of them. Every single one. There is no amount of bloodlines that makes any fucking difference whatsoever. The only thing you could possibly say is that they've been training at this position because of their dad, their brother, or whatever, um, their whole lives. And But to me, that but is doesn't something... Even, doesn't, that doesn't even make any sense because well, that, usually... That, that applies more at the college level. It gives them a leg up there. Once you're graduating college, you've pretty much had training. You know what I mean? Like You're not getting any advantage over... And, Anybody else? Patrick Sertain isn't better off than J.C. Horn, right? The dad isn't sitting around every night after work and talking for five hours on coaching his kid. I mean, he's a professional athlete, so it's not, it's not like they're trained from birth to play, you know, either the same position or the same sport. It's, it's just like a silly thing. And it, and it shows. I, I see very smart and respected analysts do it every year, and it kills me. I don't care if he's related to. The president, an alien, a prime minister. Maybe they hated each other. Who knows? They never talked to each other. I mean, that's that's the case, I think, with Austin Rivers and Doc Rivers in basketball. Like, they have very little relationship and have for a long time. But, you know, so any of that uh, mind-melding, you know, knowledge dump really wasn't there. They just happened to be, you know, one athlete has another good athlete. But guess what? Like you said, all these guys are good athletes. And their parents were good athletes as well. Yeah. And not not to mention, the game is not the same as it was 10 years ago, let alone 20 years ago. Yeah, it's a little that's... irrelevant. So if you're just telling me that he has the bloodlines of an athlete, I don't really need to know that because I already see that he's an athlete. He's graduating from Alabama. He's a three-year starter at Alabama. That's insane. That alone is nuts. So, yeah, I... I and we're not, not only pointing, not even pointing it out, but making it as like a deciding factor. Like it, it, sh- it doesn't belong. It, if you want to point it out because it's a fun fact, point it out because it's a fun fact. I, I could care. Le- it means nothing to me. You know, the NFL draft now ESPN and ABC are two separate broadcasts. They have the ABC version, which is like the up close and personal stories. And then the ESPN version is more, a little more hardcore with numbers and stats and facts and stuff. That's great for that's great for Mike Greenberg doing the ABC broadcast. Go ahead and talk about all the families and all that nonsense. But you know, I I might have a hardened heart and no soul. I just don't care about that stuff. So it, it's nice. It's, it's a nice one line thing to say, and let's move on with our lives and evaluate the person for being the person and what they can do 
what their tape is. Most important thing, because we're going to talk pretty soon about bloodlines and, you know, tape versus, you know, stats, you know, physical stats. But that's yeah, the most well, important. You know what? I'm going to I'm going to just stay on this line and we're going to jump out of my top four guys here and we're going to jump. We're going to jump along the bloodlines. And this one's important because the Giants have already had a virtual meeting with him. So he's worth talking about. And that's Asante Samuel Jr. from Florida State. Um, Just pretend his name is Sam Jones. Just pretend. Because putting him, putting the pressure of being Asante Samuel Jr. on him is unfair in itself. Um, Asante Samuel was an anomaly for how good he was at the size that he was, was unheard of really. I mean, the, the dude is, is kind of an NFL legend. So, you know, anybody following those footsteps, it's not fair. So immediately when you go to watch this film, you're all, and I, I found myself doing the same thing. I and mean, it's not, it's not like I looked up bloodlines or anything like that. It's literally his name, but you find yourself being like, does he jump routes like Asante Samuel does? Does he gamble like him? It doesn't matter. Just watch what he does. And he kind of doesn't do that shit. Um, but he's not bad for a middle round corner. I, I do I do like some of the things that he brings to the table. He's probably more a fit for what the Giants want because I don't see him as being a full star, full-time starter on the outside. I see him more in a nickel or dime role, at least to start, um, You know, given that he's 5'10". I do have some serious problems with him. And for, for one is... I know he's 5'10 and 185, but he looks like he doesn't throw any effort whatsoever into tackling, shedding blocks. He does not look physical whatsoever when it comes to playing football. Grump, I am, as you know, certainly not in the business of defending people from Florida State. I think they're not intelligent people to begin with. But this year, I'm going to give a little bit of a pass to those guys because... This class coming out from Florida State had to go through, you know, two coaching staffs, a year where they quit on the season. Basically, they only played only played like five or six games, um, and had all of COVID. So, the amount of coaching, you know, the quality was very poor. And then it completely changed. They didn't have the normal COVID off season, which I know everybody did. But then they didn't even have like a real regular season. They only played a handful of games. So some of the things you're seeing technique wise and coaching wise, I'm going to give those guys a bit of a pass, you know, that, you know, they're still young enough that they can certainly be coached up for, but you know, there's a, when we're talking about any of these guys, that's part of it. And that's the last time I'll ever defend that quote unquote school ever again. But it, it is something to consider when you're really evaluating in terms of of the draft and, and, you know, if he's a guy who's on a first round pick, if he drops to the second or third round, that's somebody that's that could be an explainable reason that at this point now we kind of start to overlook like like this time last year. And we we spent shows and shows saying, you know, no regular offseason. What is this going to do? And these are some of the byproducts you're seeing now. Yeah, and I think one of the things we mentioned is how weird the draft was going to be because at the time we didn't know if there was going to be a college season at all. Um, And so it is weird because there are certain prospects that A, opted out, and B, came from schools that were were conferences that didn't play at all. I mean, we look at some of the smaller school guys and they didn't have the benefit of 
of a season this year. Or they're or they're playing now. I mean, there were games going on in March and April. Like yeah. they played a spring semester. Um, but I will say, I, I there are a lot of things about Asante Samuel Jr. I do like. He is smart. He is very good at man coverage, but he's not physical enough at man coverage. And I do think that if he plays against somebody who's six two or taller, they're going to just bully the shit out of him. And it didn't look like he. I didn't see anything where I saw somebody capable of of playing up to that in terms of standing his ground or whatever. I do think that he has some scheme versatility, though. He's he's he is a good player, but what really really worries me is his his unwillingness to tackle. And he blitzes really well, but when the run game, he just kind of gets in the way, plays the angles. Like I want to see people hit people. Period. Unwilling is a big difference from poor technique or not coached. Oh, I, I mean, big, un- big difference. I, I, poor technique is, is something that's a knock. Unwilling is a thing I kind of expect from a Florida. Florida State last year was an absolute mess, and you, you covered it perfectly. And it's something I would expect from that. It's it, The team basically gave up. Players gave up. Everybody gave up. Um, so the ones that did remain, I mean – you really want to get trucked by you know a 250 pound running back coming at you? Probably not. But it's still I, I I'm not going to get the image out of my mind of guys instead of running downhill and making a tackle, just kind of playing the angle, force them back inside instead of even trying to make a tackle. Um, I I don't like that. And he was not the worst offender by any means. Um, but the other bloodlines guy is Marco Wilson from Florida and. You know, he is the younger brother or cousin of Quincy Wilson. Brother. Current, current giant Quincy Wilson. He is the younger brother. And I think he was mostly out of most – off most people's radar. And then he had this insane pro day with, you know, a, a 43.5 vertical. Um, he's really fast. He, he had – uh, 26 reps on the bench press is really impressive for a guy at his position. Why don't you tell me all about how Marco Wilson played at UF? Oh, boy. Okay, well, Marco Wilson comes from the Wilson family. Um, the father is a light version of um, is like a LeVar Ball kind of guy where he is a very big self-promoter, promotes his kids really, you know, very hard. He's a fixture in the South Florida recruiting circles and things. Um, Marco was a huge recruit coming out and he went to Florida, played really well as a freshman, uh, then had a, a big, I think he had an ACL injury or something big. He was out for most of the year, came back, was never quite the same. Um, this past year, he was awful and it was a bad Florida defense. Again, part of it I think was COVID related, but part of it was just, Poor, poor play, and he was one of the prime recipients of why it was so bad and one of the big whipping uh, whipping boys for why it was bad. Um, I'm sure most people remember uh, in the LSU game this year, he made a big play. Guy's shoe fell off, took the shoe, threw it 30 yards downfield, 15-yard penalty, extended the drive. Florida ultimately ended up losing. Uh, it was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back for the, the fan base's uh, you know, patience for the guy. And you know, it was, it was no shock he decided to go pro. He was 
bad this year. Terrible. And then he has the, the pro day and all of a sudden can jump out of the building and he can run like Superman. And now he's on people's, you know, you know, back on their list and in, in the good graces. This is a classic example of we are not drafting Olympic athletes. We are not drafting guys who can run between cones really fast and hit a pegboard really high. Watch film, watch games, watch the eye test. He's not good. He's regressed. And maybe part of that is he never recovered from the injury and maybe it's part mental, but the guy should have been a leader on this defense. And he was a negative. If they had, you know, any sort of, uh, you know, depth behind them. And they had a lot of injuries in the back in, in the secondary. Anyway, he did his ass would have been benched after the shoot throwing thing and never saw the field again, but such is the case. So I know he's a legacy, you know, you know, with, with the brother and all, but I wouldn't want him anywhere near this team. And you think Quincy Wilson was better at Florida, right? Uh, he turned Quincy was a slow burn who got better and better each year. Marco started off as a freshman was really good. It was Marco in, uh, Chauncey Gardner Johnson was together back there. They were good. Uh, and then he got hurt. And then, you know, it took him a long time to get back. And he never, never was the same again. And he was just, he was just God awful. He was picked on all the time, you know, took bad routes. He just was awful. I'm trying to think. Quincy Wilson was there when Hargraves was there, right? Yeah. And a little before that too, kind of like the, uh, the late must champ early McIlwain days. So we're talking six years ago around that time. Yeah. I remember thinking very highly of Quincy Wilson. Then I think Quincy Wilson plays a freshman. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think I right away. I, I liked Quincy Wilson a lot and you know, he hasn't really lived up to anything in the NFL here. He is sitting on the bench behind what? Five guys. And on the Giants roster. He played for the Jets for a while. He was, uh, you know, serviceable. Yeah, well, you know, I might be serviceable for the Jets. <laughs> um, jumping back into our, our top group here. Um, Caleb Farley, for me, is three um, from a talent perspective. Uh, he is 6'2", 207. He's another one of those perfect guys from, from Virginia Tech, by the way. I'm sure most people know him. He's really, really athletic. He's got great quickness. and so He's a very smart player. I would say he tends to gamble maybe a little too much, but I would I, I don't have a problem with gambling. Um, it usually leads to more boom than bust. It's just his athleticism, the margin for error is much, much smaller when you leave Virginia Tech and go to the NFL. So just something to control a little bit more. Uh, for me, he's probably the third best um, in terms of talent uh, because he can play a little out of control sometimes. But the medical red flag pushed him out of my top four. Um, he had a torn ACL in 2017, which, you know, it is what it is. Back spasms in 2019 caused him to miss some games, and then he opted out in 2020. Um, and then he just recently is scheduled for back surgery that kept him out of his pro day. Um, should have him fine for training camp or whatever. Um but those are some serious things stacking up right before he's about to enter the NFL. Out of my that right there takes him out of my top four. You know what's going to happen? He's going to drop and drop and drop until somebody's going to panic and take him ahead of where they should have been. <laughs> you know, it's usually the way of the world. Yeah, I, I just, you know, maybe 
maybe I'm just too giant centric about this because I am very much on the uh, on the um, perspective that the Giants are on the precipice of either something great or total collapse because if they completely whiff on their free agency this year and their draft, it's curtains for Dave Gettleman and who knows what else. And the repercussions of doing another changeover can have years worth of implications depending on how the chips fall. So wait a minute. Are you saying that if we have a bad draft this year, that could impact him? And that's ridiculous. That's there's no way he's going to be. You know, that's a tipping point. Whether based on this draft, I mean, if we had, if we're six, we're six and ten again. I could certainly see it, but I think you know. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not saying on you know May first if the if the draft results were not what ownership wanted. No, 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 no. I'm saying at at, at the end of January and. You know who we drafted doesn't. You know, no, that's not, not what, I'm, no, no, that's, that's not what okay. I'm saying. I'm saying okay. you know they spent big, they restructured stuff. You know, they if if Leonard Williams is a complete statistical failure on top of a losing season. By the way, losing season is going to trump everything. But if a losing season, Leonard Williams is a statistical failure. Say a Dory Jackson is injured and misses ten games, even after we paid him all that money. You know, and then on top of that. You know, the say say the same thing for Kenny Galladay. Say he misses five games or something like that, and then on top of that, our draft was kind of a bust. I think all of that combined, you can pin almost entirely on the GM at that point. Um, and there's no way to really calm down a fan base at that point. I think it, it becomes too much. But but I my point is is that they're on the precipice of something great, but they have to be careful. They are playing a little bit with fire with the injury guys that they have spent a lot of money on. Kenny Galladay does have an injury history. So does Adoree Jackson. I'm fine with them spending money on those guys, but that means that they have to be careful in the draft. And I, you know, I've been fine if you went the other way. If you were careful with your money, you want to be a little bit fast and loose with your draft guys, fine. But you can't do both. They're not good enough right now to completely fan on both of those things. So Or to completely gamble. You know, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, exactly. We have seen too often with with Jerry Reese's and Mark Ross's time, you know, gambling on the athletic guy or, or whatever. It when it when you miss, it's so bad, um, and the, the repercussions happen for a couple of years. You know? Well, what the what the fan base the ones who are anti Gettleman, if a guy is one has never missed a game in his life and he misses eight games this year. It becomes Gettleman's fault. Well, of course, I'm not. I'm not talking about the the radicals on either side of how you feel about Dave Gettleman. I'm just take the true neutral guy who's just like, I just want to see my team win. How do you not blame the GM if if the team loses a whole bunch? Your free agents that have injury history were injured, couldn't contribute, and then none of the draft picks really helped. I mean, how do you not blame the GM for that? I mean, if you're truly neutral, I don't know how you don't. So. Maybe it's just because I'm looking at the draft this way that I have taken Caleb Farley way down. Um, you know, maybe if you're a team like, you know, Tampa Bay, you want to take a, a flyer on Caleb Farley in the draft. You can do that because you're the defending champs and because you've already got a you know a, a great defensive coordinator who's going to get a lot out of guys. You just won the Super Bowl. The defense played out of its mind throughout the whole playoff. You know. You've probably got something there, and if you, you know, the upside is Caleb Farley is one of the best corners in football. The downside is he doesn't play, and you still got a great defense from the year before. So yes, if you're Tampa, maybe I'm being too harsh on Caleb Farley, but for the Giants, yeah, I, I can't, I can't 
Mm-mm. No, not for me. Um, but there's two guys that that I think are are really good, um, and they're both from Georgia. So I'm sure Giants fans have PTSD the moment I say corner from Georgia, but um, but that's that's I want to get into that little rant for a second. That I think that is the stupidest thing. If you have something that has absolutely nothing to do with something else, has to. I hear it like from Met fans all the time too. It's like we should never get another free agent again because look what happened with Jason Bay ten years ago. He was a bust. Every free agent this year going forward has got nothing to do with him. And it's the same thing with like you know just because you know DeAndre Baker flamed out for non-football related things. That means you're no longer consider you know one of the three best you know recruiting schools in the country in Georgia at a position. That's ridiculous. So when you hear people like complaining, like, oh, we shouldn't do that. Look what happened to X player Y years ago. I mean, you got to get over that stuff because they're completely unrelated. It's silly. I mean, I couldn't agree more. And we hear it all the time with Daniel Jones and Duke. Who cares? I, I mean, nobody, nobody gives a shit now that Phil Simms went to Moorhead State. Or, or even worse is kind of like, well, we can't ever draft another quarterback again from uh, who's the guy who's flamed out, who's who sucked. Who's the guy? Uh, well, every quarterback old, old in time, USC. Let's well, say old time Giant fans remember um, the guy we drafted from Duke uh, Dave Brown. after Dave Brown, right? It's like, what does Dave Brown have to do with uh, Daniel Jones? absolutely nothing you're talking five coaches ago you're talking i don't even think daniel jones was alive when uh, dave brown was a quarterback but making that leap and making the thing you shouldn't go that way because of this is you have to get off of that and even to make even the joke about it is a tired like what a cliche uh-huh, thing yeah. to say yeah it's like oh good one everyone else in the world is thinking the same thing and quite honestly other than giant fans no one even knows what you're talking about so you know Things happen independent of each other. They're completely unrelated. One has got nothing to do with the other. And um, so the, I, I, I love the Georgia defensive coordinator, by the way. I, I think he takes a lot of guys who are pretty good talent, and he makes a very good unit. And they're a lot of fun to watch defensively. Um, I'm sure you would probably disagree. Um, well, I mean, the Georgia defense is Kirby Smart. Yes. I mean, it's like they've had a couple of defensive coordinators under his his time. They've gone on to bigger and better things. But it's, I mean, they're kind of paper coordinators. It's Kirby Smart's scheme. He's a guy who recruits them. Is he calling the plays? I'm just curious because I actually don't know. I don't think he's calling the plays, but I think he's got he's in the ear quite a bit what to do. Okay. I mean, either I mean, way. But Kirby, though, I mean, Kirby was the mastermind of the Bama defenses before he got the job at Georgia. Yeah, and and. You know, when you have two corners that are entering the draft and both of them are worthy of mention by me, then you've done something right. Uh, a lot of people have Tyson Campbell really high. He's the fourth in my top four. Uh, 6'1", 190. He's got great, great, great body. You know, needs to hit the weight room a little bit more than some others, but pretty good. My biggest thing with him, my only real knock on him is that he is too passive. I, I, I think that he plays everything a little too safe. He seems like he's afraid to get burned because he is often playing way too far away and sometimes is already in his backpedal or turned before the snap. 
Um, you know, I feel I feel a lot of the time that's a scheme thing. I, you like know, I wondered that too. I, I just I, I didn't see the same thing from Eric Stokes, which is why I just wasn't sure. I, I I can't tell, but like his cushion in coverage is a little bit too much for me too. He can make up for it a little bit with, you know, he he's really fast and he's a really smooth and natural runner. Uh, he move he flips his hips really well, um, and he's got great understanding of positioning and his responsibilities. I just. It also seems like it also seems like a coaching thing. Like that's something that, you know, you just very either in practice or during a game you make an adjustment. Like you're too far off. Yeah, so it, I don't I, absolutely. Yeah. And to, the important thing to remember is that I can do these podcasts all I want, but my access to these things is just the film. So I would hope that this checklist is something that the Giants talk to him about and say. Hey, we noticed you're this far off the ball. You're already turning away, and you know that's up to him to say in an interview. Yeah, that's the scheme. That's what they wanted. You know, I am more than capable of playing right at the line of scrimmage. I'd, I'd never seen the guy jam. You know, I don't know if he's not physical enough because he is a little bit. He's only one ninety. You know, at six one, that's I'm six one one ninety. Yeah, so um, <laughs> I don't, don't don't see you're me quite, <laughs> playing. You're quite like you're quite the Adonis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right. Um, it's just I don't know if it's schemed because of his deficiencies schemed because it's a scheme or you know what so you know this these are the things that you know you write down and then when you get your interview with players you can ask him and find out what it is so it, does, it doesn't mean when I say it's a knock on them it doesn't mean that they're they're incapable I if I, I will say incapable if I mean incapable and that's what makes this draft a lot harder this year because you're not these are Zoom interviews. These are not sit down. You don't get body language. You don't get a real sense of a conversation. You're watching somebody on TV answer questions for you. So that's another one of those little nuances this year. It's going to make it tougher for you know guys that have questions about whatever. You know, it's more of a leap of faith this year than normal. Yeah, Eric Stokes to me is um, he's like that level below. I you know I think he's in that six to ten range of corners, six one one eighty five so about the same in terms of frame. Uh, definitely needs to add some strength. Whatever to me he's more well rounded. I, I think you can you can develop him a little bit more. He can play man off man zone. Um, so he's he's going to be scheme versatile, which is something that the Giants are going to like. Uh, I just like that he is a little bit more aggressive. And aggression is something that I look at at every position. I'm sure I already ranted about this, but he looks like a football player trying to play football and make plays, not a football player trying to not make mistakes. Um, So, you know, I want to see guys who play at 100 miles an hour. I don't care if you were born with Marco Wilson's bloodlines or not. If you're out on the field, I want you to be running as fast as you can which is why play speed is more important than 40 times, etc. But for me, you know, he's not as fast as Tyson Campbell to me. You know, he's not as natural, but he's smart. He plays really well. He's He's got good quickness. He's probably going to struggle with some super deep speed, but he's going to go a little bit lower in the draft. You don't stick him on the outside, probably. You work him in. At worst, he's great depth to have in case you have a 2016 divisional round game problem. He can pop in there and not be a total shit fuck disaster. Um, uh, it, I, I just confirmed it. Um, 
Kyle Pitts in the Florida Georgia game had a great over the shoulder touchdown catch that was off of Campbell. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, it was clear that that Georgia felt that Campbell was the better corner. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so. And it, I mean, I I think that speaks to as much as how great Kyle Pitts is is more so than any knock you'd have on Campbell. But you know, when there's a, there's a good that's the type of film you want to see is how do you do against elite talent. And in that instance, Pitts beat him, but it was a, it was a great catch by Pitts. Yeah. It certainly wasn't a play where he burnt him. No, it not was, at uh, all. You know, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, here we are talking about three SEC corners in my top four and, um, and, and all of them struggled with Pitts. Which is amazing too, because this is a league where you're going to have, you know, Mac Jones, uh, Kyle Trask, they're going to be drafted, you know, big time receivers all over the place, all over the league getting drafted. Uh, and so they're playing against quality, quality competition. And, you know, they pass with flying colors. I mean, the league now, the league has certainly changed where there's offense everywhere in the SEC. It's, it's a wide open league. They, they pass a lot. And these guys are all SEC guys and they've, they hold their own. So I, it's certainly, you know, with the two schools that call themselves DBU, Florida and LSU, having awful years defensively. Yeah, so it's not, not for nothing, like but but Ohio State's another one of them. They they have no corners coming out this year either. Right. So, I mean, that's uh, – we're talking about the talent of SEC corners. We're not even mentioning Florida, LSU. That's saying something about the depth in the, in the league and the, the level of talent these guys are. Yeah. And for what it's worth, I did watch Sean Wade from OSU, and I could not be more down on a player than him. He was somebody I was just like J.C. Horn. I was watching this year getting ready. And to me, Sean Wade has the biggest knock on him that you can give, and he, it's that he just simply looked disinterested. Um, yeah. And, and you could see in the Penn State game, they abused him. And Penn State has dog shit for a, corner, for, for a quarterback. You know, um, Ohio State all year felt like, you know, we are so entitled to get into the, the playoff. They did everything they can to get into the playoff. They only played six regular season games. So, again, wonky year. And when you know you're going to get in the playoff, are you really giving it 130% every single play? Probably not. So, again, I would when I see things like that, I think last year was so jacked up. I Again, that's why this – period now where you can't really interview the guy and get him in a room for half an hour really really hurts i mean what was nonsense from last year and what is legit and it's some of these guys are going to suffer from it where they're not going to some some teams will take the chance and some will be rewarded but a lot of them won't and it's going to affect a lot of uh you know bottom lines for a lot of these kids for sure um I'm going to talk about one more guy, and he made my top five at number five, and I have not seen a lot of people clamoring for him, so this will be interesting to see how far he falls, or maybe I'm just stoned and, and he's not as good as I think he is, but uh, it's a Florida product. Who, who is it, Cheech? Tell us. <laughs> it's a Florida product from UCF, Aaron Robinson, 5'11", 190. Good size, well built. He's a little on the shorter side, but so so he may be a better fit for the inside. But he has scheme versatility. He's got 
pretty average speed, average quickness, but he plays with instinct, and he's another one of these guys that plays at 100 miles an hour. There is no hesitation in his game. He's physical, but not too handsy. He plays really well when he's down by the line of scrimmage, but he can turn and run with most wide receivers. I think he plays through the ball really well. He has really good timing to disrupt throws. He's pretty smart. He can get a little over-aggressive and a little out of position from time to time, but not too often. But he's really going to excel at the underneath game, so hence inside corner. He can play off, man, or zone really well. Um, he's gonna, So he's going to be able to move around in a versatile system. He's a strong physical tackler. He's aggressive. He plays at 100 miles an hour. I, I can't underline that enough. He's really good in blitz situations, which Patrick Graham will love. Uh, you know, sometimes he can bite a little too hard on some fakes, be a little over-aggressive in, in the run game. Uh, but I really liked what I saw from Aaron Robinson. I think the game I watched was them against Cincinnati. So not mm-hmm. against the scrub team by any No, stretch. no, that was a team that was trying to sniff at the playoffs for a little bit. And that game came down to the wire. I believe UCF lost in the closing minutes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some of those biting on fakes might have been over aggression due to a really, really close game or, or whatever. I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't have. Unfortunately, I am I am whack, and I don't have the time to watch like <laughs> six games from each player. I would love to because it would make these things more well rounded, and maybe I won't be going off on a limb too much. But I really like Aaron Robinson. He was my fifth best corner. Uh, on the list, and I would love if he fell somewhere around the third or fourth round. I don't think that's going to happen, but holy crap, if he is around that time where Giants are just ready to take talent, get this guy. Put him in the defensive backfield. You won't have to worry about an injured Darnay Holmes. You're upgrading over Julian Love, in my opinion, and you know maybe when you have to shift guys around, or maybe you can't afford to keep Darnay Holmes because he outplayed his contract and what you're able to afford. You have a guy who can come right in and you don't miss a beat. All right. So let's say the draft goes reasonable to chalk based on the giants, big board of guys they want. You know, we, we, we're pretty much in agreement that, you know, the first couple of rounds, we're not taking a cornerback unless somebody falls from heaven into our lap. Right. Where's the earliest you would see us taking a corner if you even see us taking one in one of the six draftable rounds? I mean, is this something where, you know, we bring in a couple of undrafted free agents in to compete for a spot or are we actually going to you think we actually would commit for one? Well, I'll say I would be completely surprised if there is not at least one corner added from draft weekend. And that includes undrafted free agents just because you're always you're, you're always adding competition and right now you know Ryan Lewis's expo- expendable competition so is Sam Beal so is Quincy Wilson Jaron Williams and so on you know the only guys I think that I, I wouldn't throw away as expendable are Isaac Yadam because of the way he picked up his game last year and you know his his understanding of the system and the fact that he was a capable starter last year Julian Love is the same thing. You know, I think he's shown himself as capable starter, and the guys above him are starters. Yeah, the, the first three are starters. The other guys you just mentioned, those last two, they're cheap also. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so it's not like it's kind of, you know, if they were, you know, if they were cut candidates, they might have been already, or they would certainly be on the chopping block before you get to cut down day. But those guys are inexpensive, so they're going to get more of a leash and more of a look. But uh, it never hurts to bring other guys, you know, on the back end. To, you know, it never maybe hurts. A, maybe a push for one guy. Maybe some guy we bring in has some special team skills also 
that uh, makes them more appealing. And that with the combination of what their price tag would be, you never know. But I, I kind of agree with you. I don't uh, I don't foresee unless somebody falls drastically and we, we, we jump on them that uh, this is a spot of particular need where there's other things, you know, for depth building and, and for starter wise that we would try to get. Well, I'll say I'll say this because this go this runs contradictory to 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 that is I could see them drafting as high as the third round. Um, again, that's probably going to do to somebody falling a little bit, but we're not talking about the JC well, Horns of the world falling. That's, what, that's what I was that's what I was talking about. If, if somebody falls from heaven, well, but, but I mean, not even that. I mean, Asante Samuel Jr. I could see going in the third round to any team. Uh, the thing is, is the Giants have shown now that by the third round they're ready to draft talent and they're not afraid to stack talent. We saw last year they draft Andrew Thomas in the first round and they followed Matt Parrott in the third round. You know, they saw upside there and talent there even though he wasn't starter ready yet. Um, I could see that if they, if it's a guy they like and they see upside and ceiling there, them doing something in, as as early as the third round. Doesn't mean I think that that's the spot, but it depends on how rounds one and two fall. I mean, if the clear quote-unquote needs for this team, I would say that there's only really three, and that's offensive line, wide receiver, and edge rusher. Those are the three needs. If you hit two of those three needs right away and you see a talent at three that you like at some other position, they're probably going to take talent, and that might be corner. I don't think it's going to be round three. I think you might see something around round five. Um, because again, round five, six, you're just getting talent. Four, five, six, seven. You're just you're just grabbing talented guys, and you 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 put them somewhere they can play, compete. Maybe they'll end up on special teams. Maybe they'll get a rotational spot. Maybe they won't play at all. You know, it doesn't matter. But and, and the good thing also with the talent we have at corner and the depth we have is all pretty young. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like even like even Bradbury, right? He's how old is he? Twenty six, maybe. Right, so it's not something like you're drafting for the heir apparent or any of these guys, you know, like in some other positions, like you know, you know, for wide receiver. Well, that's something we need to think about, you know, going forward because these guys are getting up out of that, either their rookie contracts or they're getting a little bit in age. We have some time to think about re- replacing a, a Bradbury type, replacing that contract. Right, but I mean, Darnay Holmes is one of those guys who's on a shorter contract. And, uh, you know, if he plays lights out the next two years, he's outplaying his contract. If we can't afford him, that's more the guy I'm talking about. Not the, not the free agents we've signed to longer you know, deals. That, or, yeah, but that that's a that's a situation we deal with, we deal with in two years. A guy like him, and if he outkicks his coverage up until then, we're getting far, you know, better play than we ever expected. I mean, he, has, he, also, he also has to get the opportunity to be far better than we expect him to, to which, which right now he's kind of on the outside looking in as far as the starting spot or, you know, he'll have some rotation play, but he's not going to be, you know, getting major, major snaps yet, unless somebody gets hurt or, well, or I don't know. It, it depends on how Patrick Graham is going to change things with the difference to the roster. Um, I do think we're yeah. going to see a different defense, uh, more aggressive defense actually, but we'll see because I do think there's some overlap there when you, when you have uh, Logan Ryan and him, uh, but but I, I, I do think Darnay Holmes is, is going to compete for some serious snaps this year. Uh, but I have no evidence to support that. <laughs> so let me so let me ask you something. Of the top five guys mm-hmm. or six guys, who would be your – who do you think is most likely not to be on the roster after uh, final cutdown? The top six guys. 
Bradbury, Jackson, Holmes, Love, Yadam, and Beal. Probably Beal. I I, I would think Beal. I would think if anybody is going to be, yeah. I mean, he he has the talent, but we haven't seen it yet. So he's got to when when he shows up, he's got to really show up. Yeah, and most of it's and most of it's not his fault. It's a victim of bad circumstance. But you know something, that's it's getting late early. Yeah, yeah. There's no, they're not in a position where they need to wait around for him, and they shouldn't wait around for him. If you know, he the opt out 2020 is what it is. You know, I have no problem with it. The shoulder injury is what it is. You know, they they knew it was a possibility, but But we're not holding a spot for Deion Sanders. Exactly. It's Sam Sam Beal, and and whenever we drafted him, whatever situation, you know, four years later is irrelevant. And if we're still grading uh, Dave Gettleman based on moves like that. You know, go go check yourself. But that's it. That's those those are my corner review. I watched a couple other guys, but I didn't really think they were worth mentioning too much. Um, but there you have it. Corner position. Uh, ta-da! <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Um, but corner of the market. Good we job. we have now we have now covered every position except wide receiver. Um, so that's going to be a big episode next week uh, as we delve to that because that is a position of need despite getting Kenny Galladay and whatever. You know, that's a spot where there's definitely a need for depth. I think there's even a need for a starter there. And there is without question a very good chance that there is somebody taken at 11 there. Um, so that'll be a really fun episode. That'll be another long one. And um, – you know, we always like to argue about wide receivers and who's going to be the fourth, fifth, sixth wide receiver on the roster anyway. And so get ready for that episode. That one will be on Tuesday, right? You're free from Monday to record. Yeah, we'll do it uh, late. I got a nickname, but we'll be doing it late. Yeah, so makes no difference to you guys when we record it on Monday. Uh, it will be available Tuesday morning, very, very early. Um so be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, Google Play, etc., uh, where all these episodes are available at five in the morning on Tuesday morning. And be oh. sure to follow me on Twitter, where I continually go through draft stuff. I'm at football underscore grump. Catch me as always on Twitter at the cranky fan. There's a plethora of events going on right now, and I'm sure you're all thrilled with every stop of my road trip, which I documented extensively on Twitter, so you know everywhere I ate, took a piss, and laid my head each night. Yeah, it was it was riveting stuff, honestly. If you, if, <laughs> it's too bad that I was too bogged down watching film, but uh, you know, I, you I, know did, I did see a couple check-ins at Starbucks, etc. So. Well, you know what it is? You all have parents, and they're all a pain in the ass. They all want to know. They want to make sure you haven't crashed somewhere. So that way, you set them up with Twitter. You say, if you ever want to know where I am, here's where I am. That way I have to call every 30 minutes. <laughs> I'm 48 and a half years old today, and I have to worry about, can you call us? No, you made it. I'm like, Jesus. Oh, man. <laughs> is this your half birthday today? It is, actually. I am – a year and a half away from 50, and it really blows. <laughs> well, maybe you'll have a a fifth Giants Super Bowl by then. Maybe. <laughs> That'd be nice.
All right, everyone. We will see you next week, Tuesday morning. And with that, go, go Giants. Giants.